This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. This is my uh, introduction to the TV age. I hope it doesn't ruin me. <laughs> Let's pray. Again, Father in heaven, as we just read in the book of Ephesians, may you help us to know uh, how to live during these days. May you help us to, uh, to know uh, what your will is. And uh, we pray that uh, you will expose the darkness that surrounds us. We ask that uh, your Holy Spirit will give us light uh, and show us, Lord, how we can please you uh, in these days, these evil days that have come upon us. We ask for your mercy, Lord. Be kind to us and good to us as we, your people, your family, we are indeed weak, uh, forgetful, lazy at times, and uh, full of worry and anxiety. We do ask for this grace to come upon us now. Gift of grace, in the name of Jesus, amen. So we have been here at Christ Church um, since the beginning of Lent. We've taken a little bit of a, of a different turn. And we've been preaching from the Old Testament uh, passages I'd just like to remind us uh, of a few places that we've been uh, exegetically. I think it was two or three weeks ago that uh, we remembered, this, we recounted the story of Adam and Eve. And uh, if you don't remember the sermon, I don't know that you have to go back and listen to it online. But basically, in summary, when we talked about Adam and Eve, we talked about something in the human heart that was there before the fall. That what it means to be human, yes, is to desire more, more, and more. And not to be happy, actually, with what God has given us. We want more control, yes, we want more power, we want more security. And consequently, uh, Eve was tempted, Adam was tempted, actually they were tempted together, and they fell. And uh, we are still living with the consequences of their fall, and we're still living with our humanness. Last week we spoke uh, about Psalm 95, and Psalm 95 recounts uh, a story in Exodus, chapter 16, in which um, Israel, maybe 17, I'm sorry, in which Israel, after crossing the Red Sea, after having uh, seen God deal in a mighty way with the Egyptians, uh, God actually humbled the mightiest empire of, uh, of, of their day or uh, of the time in which the Exodus occurred, God provided manna and more. And yet, when the Israelites ran, when they ran out of water, what did they do? They panicked. They became fearful. And one of the um, points that's picked up in the book of Hebrews for us, and something that you will see, I think, that works 
uh, into our reading uh, in just a little bit, is that the children of Israel, according to Hebrews chapter three, became hardened, yes, because of their sin. And on the surface, you might think, what sin did they commit? But again, it was that uh, lack of faith. It was letting fear overwhelm them, letting fear uh, take them away from a dependency, uh, a dependency of God himself. And some of us uh, for Lent have been reading Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. And uh, those who've gotten to the chapter on sin You may recall that Ortberg uses as an illustration uh, an example that a a survey company uh, called an organization called Barna, uh, they took a survey and they asked people in the United States, uh, tell us what are your top 10 sins? Yes, secular people, religious people, you could fill this application out online uh, and uh, you could be totally anonymous. And the results were quite surprising, but uh, perhaps quite biblical as well. The number one sin, and it wasn't lust, and it wasn't hatred, or it wasn't racism, or it wasn't pornography. The number one sin that people confessed to was fear, worry, anxiety. And interestingly enough, uh, even in secular society, people know that uh, there's a, uh, a line between legitimate fear and concern and a f- fear and anxiety <clears throat> that becomes dangerous and unhealthy. And so when the book of Hebrews tells us that the children of Israel were hardened by sin, you know, it, they were overwhelmed or overcome by this worry, this anxiety uh, for, their, for their future. And of course, in the process, they test the Lord and uh, that made the Lord, uh, it caused the Lord to bring punishment uh, upon that generation. Now, please note that the generation in the wilderness, God did not abandon them. God continued to provide for them. God gave them manna every day and he gave them uh, fire by night and shade by day, but they never entered the promised land. They, and here the promised land isn't uh, something, uh, I think, that's uh, equivalent to salvation, but the, the promised land is that place where God wanted to bless and prosper his people. So that generation did not enter in because of their sin. God still used them, such as he used Moses. God still cared for them. He still provided for them. They started well, but they ended, they ended badly. And I think we have a very similar story, or very similar um, human preoccupation when we read about David, and, uh, David, Samuel, and Saul in the book of 1 Samuel. And it's in this um, book, Samuel, we see is the last He's a prophet, but he's also a judge. He's the last in a long line of judges. There is uh, chaos and confusion uh, in the nation. And the people come to Samuel in chapter six, chapter eight, and they say, uh, Samuel, you're old and your sons who are judges, um, they have turned aside. 
They don't walk in your ways. They accept bribes and they pervert justice. And so um, the people of Israel conclude, because you are um, in the last uh, years of your life, their concern, their worry, their anxiety is who's gonna guide us? Who's gonna lead us? And they say to Samuel, chapter eight, give us a king. We want a king. We want to be like all the other nations uh, around us. And uh, this story or chapter, uh, this incident that we read about in uh, chapter eight really could be uh, an, two or three uh, lectures either in political science or in human psychology. But the basic point of all this is God says, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me. Give them a king. Give them a king. Now, I think what's interesting about this, and this is something we see all through the book of Samuel, uh, it is very easy to uh, overly moralize. And it's very easy to see. See what those people did. You know, they rejected God. But on one hand, whether it's uh, the people who live in Samuel's day or whether it's uh, the nation who, uh, in the Sinai who ran out of water, we have to keep in mind that people do have genuine needs. And uh, it'd be very easy to stand up here and condemn people, yes, for needing water or for wanting leadership, yes. I think in both cases, by the way, again, it's this need to control but also there's this passion for security. Yes, I need to be secure. I need to be safe. I need to know where my next glass of water uh, is coming from. I need to know who's going to lead the nations, the nation. After all, what is the challenge that the nation faces? They're facing the Philistines. The Philistines of that day, they have the F-16s. They have the military technology. The people of Israel, they don't have weapons, yes, made of iron like the Philistines do. And so consequently, again, there is this drive or this need <clears throat> or even this panic, <clears throat> give us security. I think there's two other things to keep in mind here, is that when we read about um, God giving them a king, God seems ambiguous, all right? I don't, I'm not saying God is ambiguous. On one hand, God says, give them a king, and on the other hand, God is firmly involved in the process of choosing kings, raising up kings, bringing down kings, rewarding kings, punishing kings, uh, so on and so forth. And I think one other thing as we look at the story, Saul isn't all bad in this story, okay? And David isn't all good. Sometimes we don't read it so carefully. And so Saul, as we remember, He's anointed king. But why is he anointed king? What is his qualification? His qualification is very 21st century. Yes, his qualification is that he looks the part. He looks like a king. He's tall, he's majestic, he seems to be uh, brave, uh, but it's, he's chosen for his physical appearance. 
And maybe God allows this to happen, really, in order to teach uh, them and even us uh, a lesson. And Saul starts off well. There's a certain humility about Saul. But after a while, he becomes disobedient. And in the process of becoming disobedient, he also becomes arrogant and he becomes dangerous. Remember, we just read in, uh, uh, in chapter 16 that uh, Samuel the prophet, the one who anointed him, is actually, fearful of, uh, is actually fearful of Saul. And so he has to uh, come up with an excuse to explain why he is leaving Ramah. But Ramah is just north of uh, Jerusalem here and uh, making his way uh, down to Bethlehem. So Saul, of course, as we'll see later with David, is indeed dangerous. Uh, Samuel is being tested, perhaps, in this case, as we so often are, and uh, he must choose between the sons of Jesse and uh, what sons, uh, what comes naturally to him or what makes the most sense, uh, God rejects. And finally, David, the youngest, uh, the smallest, perhaps what we, what we think to be the least significant, yes, He's the one who's chosen. Now, he's not necessarily chosen because he's small and he's insignificant, although I think there's something to that, but he's chosen because he has a heart for the Lord. And that heart or that desire to, to please God uh, and to do his will becomes perhaps the most important criteria, yes, for leadership uh, in a faith community, in a uh, in a Christian community. And David, according to our passage, not only is anointed, but he gets the spirit. Yes, the spirit stays on David. Uh, Saul, the spirit comes, the spirit goes, and ultimately God will send upon Saul or send to Saul, not an evil spirit, that probably is not the, the right translation, but he'll send a spirit that isn't very helpful. Yes, um, so David has it made. You, uh, David is anointed. And again, David, the story of David, I believe in this story, shows us that God takes what is weak and what we think to be insignificant in order to confound or to shame the wise. Yes, and of course, our um, passage in Corinthians, we're all familiar with, uh, can be recited here. And here it says, our verse, it's, um, it says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Yes, uh, and this is the way God works throughout the scripture. This is the way, in a mysterious way, this is the way that God is working today. There's something that we can't see. It's called a virus, yes, that has thrown the world into panic and hysteria. The uh, economies of the world have shut down. I don't know, over a billion people are now under, uh, are under lockdown. And... Uh, Perhaps the nations of the world 
will get the message, yes, that uh, the security, our security of our economic system or our scientific research or the universities, the arrogance that we have, yes, is actually um, is something that uh, we really ultimately can't depend upon. You know where you see this really well? And uh, since there's no Sunday school, I'll address this to, uh, to several of you here. I think at least three know The Lord of the Rings. You know the book, The Lord of the Rings? You know the story? Yes? Okay, well, in The Lord of the Rings, which is a book you should uh, probably read with your parents now that you're uh, under lockdown, um, it's a story about evil, strong, powerful evil. But what undermines evil uh, in these books? Yes? Where's Elizabeth? Hobbits, which are weak and insignificant and uh, consequential. Yes, they're, they're nobody you would send out to battle. You wouldn't send out to war, yet it's a hobbit. Yes, who destroys the ring. And by the way, the anniversary of the destruction of the ring by Frodo is coming up on the 25th. So in three days, <clears throat> on Wednesday, uh, we can remember that uh, auspicious date of how those uh, you know, lowly, um, insignificant hobbits bring down you know, Mordor and the empire the empire of uh, evil of their day. And why did, why did Tolkien choose March the 25th to be the day that the ring was destroyed? Because March the 25th is traditionally understood the day that Jesus died on the cross. Okay. That um, party, you might say, that left Rivendell, left uh, on December the 25th, Christmas Day. And uh, the 25th of March uh, has also become a holiday. It's become the Feast of the Annunciation in which we remember uh, the angel appearing uh, to Mary. And uh, it was understood or believed that the day that Jesus died was the day that he was conceived, uh, March the 25th. So the weak confound the wise. And again, I want to just emphasize um, when we read this story, we clap, we're all excited, we can preach, uh, we can take comfort, but you know, there's no guarantees. And David, who starts off really well, ends fairly badly. At least if you uh, understand his life through the book of Samuel. In the book of Kings, he, he gets a better press, you might say. But in the book of Samuel, um, not long after he becomes king over all of Israel, um, he commits a sin. There's a, we have a sermon about a year ago in which uh, Matt Dawling preached about this incident. It's a very uh, good talk if you'd like to uh, go back and listen to it. But David commits rape, yes, he, he forced forces this woman to have sex with him. He then has her husband killed, and uh, things don't go so well for David you know, for the rest of his life. And uh, the prophet 
Nathan comes to him, and in 2 Samuel, you know, see, Nathan says, um, and he says the following, which I think we should read because of it. He says, God says through Nathan to David, he said, I gave you the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And if all this had been too little, yes, I would have given you more. But then he goes on to say, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword, yes, this is measure for measure, will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. So this very easily could be a sermon <clears throat> about the abuse of power, yes, and uh, how David uh, ends up like Saul. But I'd like to go in a slightly different direction. And that direction is, again, there are no guarantees. And that what's, what uh, begins well, we should, uh, with God's help, um, work or ensure uh, that it ends well. And so just take, for example, the, the, um, the, all the buzz that's going around the Christian community. So uh, theme number one, God is using coronavirus to shake the nations. And that certainly may be true. Actually, I believe it's true. He's calling upon the nations to repent. Here we have an opportunity. Uh, we have God testing us, testing the nation to show us actually who we are and what we're made of. Yes, God is purifying the church. Very true. God may use this, yes, to change the whole nature and the shape of what it means to be a church, to do church. God is resetting uh, or giving new priorities to the lives of, of Christians. That very well may be true. All of these things are true only if we take advantage of what the Lord has given us. Yes, yes. Again, like Israel, like David, like, uh, like uh, Adam, uh, Adam and Eve, um, the nations of the world need to repent. The church, yes, needs to, we need to examine ourselves and to purify ourselves. You know, we love power. We love being pragmatic, a bit like Saul. We um, love, uh, oftentimes we love money. And yet, what a perfect opportunity. Yet, if we don't take it, if we don't, again, examine ourselves and repent, uh, then it will be a missed opportunity. And perhaps the Lord will bring us testing again. I think that this goes for us, certainly goes for us as, uh, as uh, individuals. And what are we to do in all this? Yes, well I think we begin by praying. And uh, we pray, we go into our prayer closets, we pray with others. We ask the Lord how to pray for our nation. We ask the Lord how to pray specifically for a city or how to pray for a world leader but we certainly want God to bring the, the nations of the world uh, to a place of sobriety uh, as well as uh, the, 
the people that, uh, of this day and age. We cry out for the church, and we not only cry out for the church, but we change, yes, our modus operandi. Yes, those things, again, that, that kind of um, uh, desire for status or that desire for power, yes, that somehow power and status is going to fix everything. It won't, and it's certainly the message that uh, we hear in, uh, in 1 Samuel. And what about for ourselves? Because it's not only the church, but we make up the church. We make up the, the body of Christ. And uh, again, no different than Israel, no different than the, the Israelites with Samuel, perhaps no different than Adam and Eve. What do we crave? We crave security. Yes, we want power, we want control, and we will run away We'll do everything possible, yes, to run away from being dependent upon God. Yes. We don't want to do it. We can't do it. We don't think it's somehow practical. And surely that was the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus was is that I'm coming to show you that you have a good, loving, heavenly Father and that you can trust in Him and trust in me, that you can enter into a uh, trusting relationship and have confidence and assurance that uh, he only has uh, in store what is, uh, what is best for us. And I think it's hard to change the whole church, certainly hard to change the nations of the world, although we can pray, but we certainly can change ourselves. And, um, how is it that we leave a place of uh, craving power, or craving security, um, even to the point of sinning, is that we need, yes, we need a new lifestyle. We need a new discipline. We need new ha- habits. It's not enough that we simply uh, hear sermons. Uh, sermons are very um, helpful but they don't necessarily change people, certainly don't change people permanently. And I thought that the Ephesians passage, uh, which was the assigned passage for today, would be really helpful in times like this. Yes, how are we going to uh, live in such a way? Yes, change the way we think. We change the way we think really by changing the way we live. Uh, and it's by developing a, uh, perhaps a certain discipline or a lifestyle that actually will increase, yes, our faith in uh, God himself. It's not only a gift, yes, that we receive, but faith is a muscle, something that we have to uh, exercise. And here's um, what Paul, let me remind you of Paul's words that we read we read earlier, he says, be very careful how we live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Yes, how many of us get up in the morning, yes, and uh, actually begin to pray, God, yes, how can I make the most of every opportunity? Yes, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we get up and we ask, God, what is your will today? 
or during the day, we make it a uh, we we make it a practice to actually not go through our day as a checklist and get things done, but really we come to maybe to many different points in the day and say, Lord, what is your will in this situation? And he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which would be very easy in a time like this to forget our troubles and to have a good time, but speak to one another, yes, with hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Here, always giving thanks, yes, to God uh, for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this, be, this becomes, uh, certainly becomes a daily, uh, a daily discipline. We certainly, I think, can learn something from the Jewish people where an Orthodox or a religious Jew, maybe a hundred times a day, will thank God uh, for virtually everything. I don't think we have to model our lives exactly on this, but uh, you wake up in the morning, there's a short blessing or a short a phrase of thanksgiving for, um, to God for giving one a new day. You put on your clothes or you eat your food, there's a short um, a phrase or a short blessing, thanking God for giving food. You see a beautiful flower, you see a beautiful sunset, you have the ability to work. All of these things, uh, you know, all of the, we thank God in the midst uh, of all of these things. Uh, I think being grateful, uh, being sober, uh, being connected to one another. And as we read last week in Hebrews, what does it say? It says, encourage one another. Yes, encourage one another, the book of Hebrews says, so that we do not fall into this uh, sin of unbelief. Let me just finish by um, reminding us of uh, two passages that Paul, or two things that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. Yes, it says, and these I think are important. So we don't uh, begin like a King David and end uh, in a bad way. Not only destroying our legacy, but destroying uh, our witness with others. It says, be on your guard, stand firm in faith, be people of courage. Be strong, Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 16. And in 2 Corinthians, he basically he repeats something very similar. He says, um, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do, not, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? And so we don't have to necessarily wait for God to test us. But indeed, we can examine ourselves. Yes, look for those places where we're weak and uh, seek encouragement from the Lord or help from the Lord and from one another so that no matter what happens to us in this crisis, that uh, we who have begun well, yes, will end well. So Father in heaven, we, we do take note of the examples of David. We take note of the examples of the children of Israel and the Sinai. We think of Adam and Eve and, and many other stories of uh, how you have uh, anointed and blessed and called people to do your will. And Lord, we pray 
because each one of us, we have a calling from you. We pray that uh, you will continue to give us faith and you will continue, continue to help us to help each other, Lord, to remain in a place where we depend on you. Yes, where we do not sin out of fear or anxiety or panic. Come, Lord Jesus, and strengthen us. Strengthen your people. Strengthen your community uh, as we are weak. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.